Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, it's that time, it's that time of year when we read these scriptures that we have read so many times. It's, that's just the way it works. Um, it's okay to read these every single year because they're really a blessing. You know, we try and cover as much scripture as we can throughout the years through the sermon series, um, but we always end up at Christmas time and around Easter on a certain number of texts because they are so remarkable because they speak of the most remarkable thing that God does. He sends his son, who then dies for us. So this is what the Gospel of Matthew records about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, we get so much information from the genealogies, the way they're divided into two sections of 14 people as far as the genealogy goes. Even that teaches some theology. I could preach on that alone. We're not even going to read it this morning because there's just so much in there. Well, we just have to be a little bit you know, judicious about what we're going to cover today. So, um, starting at verse 18... What Matthew does here is give us the only real glimpse that we have of Joseph and his reaction. The Gospel of Luke is wonderful because we hear Mary's reaction and you get the Magnificat, right? This beautiful, rejoicing, um, just almost an explosion of joy from Mary. It's beautiful. What about Joseph? What did he think? Um, It actually sort of reminds me of when 10 years ago, today, the triplets were born. But some months before that, when we found out we were having triplets, two very different reactions, right? I was excited. I was amazed. I was jumping for joy. And then I looked at my wife and was like, what's wrong? <laughs> and I wasn't even thinking in terms of her body, the, the, the potential hazards and the health condition, all of those things never crossed my mind, right? Um, so two people can see the very same news and event very differently. And so we're about to hear Joseph. Uh, Because this is the gospel of Matthew, I invite you, if you are able, to please stand. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, And he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I am a, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. Uh, The Marvel movies, you guys hopefully have heard of some of them because there's 
30 or 40 of them, I think. I don't know how many there are. But, you know, Thor and Iron Man and, and all of those blockbusters that have been going on seemingly forever, I like them. I like them because I like basic things in movies. I like explosions, right? Uh, car chases and excitement. Woohoo! I love it. But I'm not a big dork when it comes to those things. My neighbors are. I have the dorkiest Marvel neighbors you can imagine. They love this stuff. And sometimes while we're watching football together, they get into it and they start talking. And, and I can follow for a while. I read the comics as a kid, but ugh, we get to a spot where I, they just lose me. And that spot is always in the origin stories. The origin stories are interesting because you know who the character is. And the first time we meet characters like Tony Stark and Iron Man, he's all grown up, right? And he's, he's got the suit, and he's, he's the guy doing the bang-bang explosion stuff. But then there's these origin stories that include, like, his dad and, and all of these other... The origin stories are important because you see how it shapes the character over time. Now, if I really cared a lot more about Marvel movies, I would spend the time to watch all the origins. I, I just don't care that much. I care a lot about Jesus. And it's probably pretty obvious, right? <laughs> How did I get up here if I didn't care too much about Jesus, right? It, I care about Jesus because he's more than a character to his story, which means his origin story is, is incredibly important and significant because of who we see him and, and how we see him as he begins his ministry, Right, that we estimate he was about 30 years old, and he begins his, his ministry and his mission that leads him to the cross, these origin stories are incredibly significant. And in the origin story today, we hear the announcement to Joseph. Now, this is a big deal, because Joseph oftentimes, I think, gets a bad rap. You know, when, when we hear that, that he was, he was thinking about divorcing Mary, and, and all that, which, by the way, I know that's confusing. The, the way in which they did marriage was different than the way that we do marriage, and especially in the early parts of it, right? It, you got engaged, essentially, betrothed, and that was legally binding. To, to break that would be a divorce. Even though they hadn't been married and, you know, started the family and done all that kind of stuff, it, legally, they were, it, it was considered a done deal. They're married. And if, and this is, goes back to Jude, Deuteronomy chapter 22, if it's found that there's been any shenanigans in that time, and, and those shenanigans uh, can be anything uh, for, on her side, on his side, whatever it is, the penalty's death. That's, that's how that worked. That sounds harsh, I know, but remember the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the story in which God has revealed how he is revealing, you know, salvation. And in the Old Testament, before Christ comes to take on sin and, and do so by his death and resurrection, God manifested a way to deal with sin that, that's incredibly harsh. I, I agree with all of that. I, that's it's rough. It's a rough penalty. And actually, that should inform us more about Jesus on the cross, Right? That the thing he does on the cross, all those decades and centuries later, that, that mitigates that external management of sin that was required in the Old Testament. 
sorry, there's a little bit of a rabbit hole went down, but I, <clears throat> that's, that's the way it was. Jesus changes everything. That's, that's the simplest answer is that's the way it was because it had to be. Jesus changes everything. Thanks be to God, we live on this side of Jesus, right? Okay, so he's going to divorce her because that's what he's supposed to do. It, it isn't a bad thing. In fact, that he wants to do so quietly, Matthew in, in the text, and it's, it's translated right, but it, it doesn't give the right emphasis. He doesn't want to put her to shame, meaning he doesn't want her to be killed. I mean, fellas, in, in that same scenario, we might be so angry that we wouldn't mind, <laughs> right? Right? It's, it's a whole different scenario with with the idea that he wants to do so quietly and, and make sure that she doesn't get the public scrutiny because if he goes through with the marriage, it's going to be clear to everybody that, that some shenanigans happened. So he's trying to be just and righteous and compassionate. This is what he's trying to do. These are all of the right things to do, all of the right reasons but he's about to do the wrong thing. I want that to sink into your heads for a second. He's about to do the wrong thing for all of the right reasons. He's about to do something contrary to God's plan because it lines up with everything that he knows, the way his world works, the way it's always worked. The way everybody expects the world to work. See, it has to be revealed to him. That's, that's the origin story of Jesus, and it's the origin story of, of God's kingdom, the origin story of God. God has to be revealed to us because it makes no sense. The world that we have built, not, not like us in this room, I mean humans throughout time runs a certain way because it has to run that way. Most of the things that, that make the world run the way they work today is really designed to mitigate sin. We've come a long ways from, well, if you do something wrong, kill them, right? We've come a long ways from that, but really, why do we have laws? Why do we have rules? Why can't I drive 120 on Hickman? Well, first, my car probably won't do 120, but let's say I had one, <laughs> Well, it's, it's to keep me and other people safe, to, to not encounter the penalties that, that would be crashing and dying or killing somebody. So, so we, we're still doing all of those things. We're still doing things just to mitigate sin as best we can in, in the world in which we live. And that is different from God's kingdom by an immeasurable amount. In God's kingdom, sin is dealt with and, and all of the problems that come with it are dealt with. Even the problem of death is dealt with on the cross and the tomb and at Pentecost. See, we have the resurrection. That doesn't mean I can drive down Hickman at 120 miles an hour and not worry about it because I'm going to be raised from the dead on the last day. I still have to deal with the today consequences. But God's kingdom and eternity, that's how he is now managed and now he's dealt with sin. On the cross, he gives to us the promise of this future. So you see, in the origin story, we learn something important. The way God works is so counterintuitive to the way that we think, 
the way that we live and behave every single day, it's so counterintuitive, so illogical that we can think 100% we're doing the right thing. We can be absolutely convinced and all empirical evidence around us, even the rule book, right? Deuteronomy 22, here it is, it's right here, here's the rule. Um, And I'm gonna even try and employ the rule in the best way possible, wrong thing. God's kingdom operates differently. See, Joseph doesn't have a chance to get this right unless God reveals it. This is how important revelation from God is. It's so important we have to be very, very careful with it because we might think God has revealed to me, right? And and sometimes even preachers get caught up in this. Sometimes pastors get, God has revealed to me that we're going to do a special offering after this worship service because I need a vehicle that'll do 120 on Hickman. So dig deep, boys and girls. (laughs) We're going to go ahead and get me a Ferrari. That happens. It does. God doesn't reveal those things to us that way. He reveals things to us primarily, 99.9% of the time, right here in Scripture. It's revealed to us. Oh, how many times should I forgive somebody? Like once? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's the other way around. Whatever. No, no. Seven times seven times 77, seven, 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 all the time. An endless number of times. Well, that doesn't seem right. Right. Has to be revealed to you. Well, the kingdom of heaven must be like this thing that we have to work and build. No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven is like a little mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure found in the field. The kingdom of heaven is why he tells these parables that just sound so strange. Of course they sound strange. They're about something that doesn't match up with our world at all. The origin story of Jesus starts not with an obvious, oh, there's, duh, it was right there, just like all these. It starts with angels having to intervene and go, hey, guess what? God's doing a thing. It does line up with all of that, but it doesn't make sense that it's some no-name poor girl out in the middle of nowhere, some dude Joseph nobody's ever heard of, from Nowheresville. It sounds like a place in Iowa, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> no offense. I know you're all native Iowa. I'm not native Iowa, so I, I tell people all the time, I don't actually live in Iowa. I live in Des Moines, surrounded by Iowa, but I'm Des Moines. It's different. And some of you know that's different, right? <laughs> Let's see how many people I can annoy and aggravate in one sermon. So it's revealed Yes, it lines up with everything, but it has, it has to come from him. It has to be spoken from him. This is why it's, it's such a blessing that we have these things that are revealed and given to us. We experience these on Sundays. I mean, when, when we have a baptism, we see God revealing a way in which people are saved that is counterintuitive. You get them a little bit wet and say some stuff? Well... When God connects his powerful word with simple things like water, yes. We have the body and blood of Jesus? Yeah, we do. Because when God connects his powerful word with simple worldly elements, 
this is what happens. Miraculous things that, that have to be revealed to you. It still tastes like bread and wine, or kind of like bread and wine, right? It's, it still tastes like those things. It just still looks like water, but it's been revealed to us that it's more. And when some guy stands up here, me or Dan or any other visiting pastor, stands up up here and says, I forgive you, it's not me saying it. It's God saying it, just using my vocal cords, right? It doesn't seem that way to a casual observer, but he's revealed it to you that this is true. So it's just a matter of believing God behaves differently than we might expect and we might see. And that's where faith lands in this beautiful spot of going, well, he said it, so I believe it, and I'm going to act and live that way. Those origin stories, particularly with Joseph, about God revealing this thing are critical because what God reveals to Joseph is really important. And he's already, I mean, he has revealed it to Mary and it's, it's known-ish, but the way in which it's recorded in Matthew in connection to Joseph is important. It's his name. So what's in a name? <laughs> no, I'm not doing Shakespeare, but that's where you hear, the, what's in a name? A rose by any other name smells as sweet, blah, 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 Romeo, Juliet. No, no, how important is a name? Well, some people would say, yeah, the name of Jesus, just right. It's really Yeshua. We should call him Jehovah. That, that's, not, that's not the point. The point is, what does that name mean? Jesus is the Greek version, translation of Yeshua. It means he saves. In our text this morning, understanding that makes the text sound kind of funny. <clears throat> it says, she will bear a son. You should call his name Jesus which means he saves, so you should call him he saves for he will save. Save, save. Save, 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 save. You know, in 2016, <laughs> 2016, the British government opened up and said, we're going to do this fun experiment. We're going to allow the internet to vote on the naming rights of this new ship, the RSS blank. It's a polar expedition ship 200 million euros, beautiful new boat. They opened it up. The British said the internet can vote. And the vote that, that had the highest number of, of votes, the name that had the highest, the name was Bodie McBoatface. Like, come on. That is Bodie McBoatface. Brilliant name for a boat, right? Like, why, why did that win? Why, why was it? By the way, they, I think they actually let it be for like a month. And they're like, hey, we're not really going to keep the RSS Bodie McBoatface, right? Because it tells you exactly what it is, right? It's Bodie McBoatface. What is it? It's a boat. Are we naming a plane? No. That'd be Planey McPlaneface, right? This is Bodie McBoatface. It's the name tells the mission. It's beautiful. In our, in our text, it's basically Savey McSaveface is, is the guy he saves. That's the point. The whole point is Jesus is here to save. But then it feels like it switches in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. So he's got more than one name because the, the entirety of what Jesus does for us can't be in, encapsulated in just one name. He's savey, save guy, right? He's that, but with us. 
That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. He saves by being with. He saves by being with. We think about Jesus, God with us, Jesus is with me, Jesus is here with me, and and that's all well and good, it's all true, but when we shift to, so he's gonna, whatever. (laughs) Jesus, take the wheel, straighten my life out, fix things around me, uh, make make things better in my world, in my life. No, no, no. He's not not fixy mix fix it, right? He's, He's not helper guy, helps a lot. He's Savey saves guy. He's the one who rescues us from our sin. The way in which he does the thing that he does that is so counterintuitive is by dying on a cross, taking our sins. We go, but that's not what I need right now. What I need right now is a better job, right? I need kids that behave. I need, I need a better house. I need a better car. I need all of these things. That, that makes sense according to your world. What, what he reveals to you in scripture is a much bigger issue. And it's death. Because the wages of sin is death. What he reveals to us is that apart from him, we're enslaved to sin and can do nothing but sin. But because of our faith in him, washed in the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And now, now we can be and do righteousness. It, it changes everything. And, and you, you have to stop looking at the world around you and, and the kingdom of the world and how we build and do things and go, oh, oh, that's, that's better. That's different, that's awesome, that's better. It has to be revealed to you. This is what's so great about Christmas. It's, it's revealing to us God's plan. Different from our plan, so much better. God's gift to us, different than the gifts that we desire, want, covet, so much better. So much better that the rest of those things pale in comparison. The greatest gift of Christmas is savesy, saves guy, is with us. God with us. Last point in the sermon. Last point in the sermon. Kids will be here in a minute, I promise. I'll stop talking. That God is with us is incredibly important. He was with us walking this earth. He reveals to us so many things. One, if, if human beings are going to be saved, then the payment required to save them, to pay off human debt, is going to be a human. Taking on flesh is part of that. God becomes man to pay the debt of mankind. That's, that makes sense. That it has to be God-sized makes a lot of sense, too, because one dude can't pay for all the sins of the world unless there's something about this dude. Yeah, he's God. He's both. Very strange. Has to be revealed. Would not have figured out on our own. That he's with us. Well, this gives us comfort. When I, when I speak to people, as, as I have, um, you know, those who just recently lost a, a dad and father-in-law, I said, he knows what this is too, right? He lost loved ones. He watched people unexpectedly die. He dealt with disappointments, betrayal, people lying. He dealt with all of these things himself. He knows, he knows all of these things. That makes so much, when, when I have something going on in my life and it's, it's difficult and trying and I, and I share it and somebody goes, dude, I had that happen to me too. 
you know that feeling. Like instantly you're like, right? <laughs> you, you get sort of this connection with that person. I mean, in simple, silly, small ways. Somebody just recently told me I have a, a torn labrum in my shoulder. And I was like, I had one of those. It's terrible, right? Right. And like you start comparing stories. Like, you know, when you can't sleep, oh, it's the worst. All, all of that stuff, it, just to know somebody else has been through it. God has been through it. God has been through those things. God has experienced and felt all of those things. That's the gift of Emmanuel. Because our God knows, not, not intellectually, but experientially. He knows what you've been through. He knows the temptations, the trials, the pain, and the suffering. He's different because he overcame them in ways we couldn't because he's God. But at the end of the day, he's not a God who just observes and sees He's not a God who just wrote a check to pay from a distance. He's a God who got down into the dirt and the mud, into the trenches with us. He's not that person who from afar goes, yeah, that looks tough. I hope you get through that. That's, whew. He's the God who goes right there with you and goes, all right, let's go through this together. Let's, let's go with each other through this sinful, painful world. That is, that is full of suffering and sorrow. And he says, stay, I'm here with you, stay with me on the other side of this thing. It's, it's, that last bit, when you die, that's not fun. And he knows. But he says, trust me, on the other side of that is a resurrection. And he knows there's a resurrection on the other side. God with us. This, this baby born on Christmas, I'm telling you, it is the, a difference maker when it comes to God's kingdom. And if it wasn't revealed to you, you'd think it's just a kid. Just another baby born like all the other babies born. It's not. This is Savey Saves Guy with us. Amen.